Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for Thee. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Welcome to Lent. It would not be a surprise to hear a sermon during Lent on temptation. It would not be a surprise to hear a sermon on temptation preached to new Christians or newly renewed Christians. Because new Christians need to know about temptation and how to respond to it. But in this epistle passage today, we find St. Paul addressing the Corinthian Christians and warning them about temptation in the context of overconfidence. Why might they be overconfident? Well, the Corinthians were a pretty amazing crowd, and they had some real miracles under their belt of their experience. There were tongues, wowee, healings, Wowee. Miracles. Wowee. So Paul runs them through a historical review and he says to them, well, there were great miracles to the children of Israel under Moses when they came out of Egypt. There was deliverance from the ten plagues. Wowee. Deliverance from political oppression under Pharaoh. Wowee. Manna and quails given by God Himself in the wilderness. Wowee. And a guiding cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Wowee. And yet, he says, they fell. They had all the blessings. They had all the credentials. They had all the miracles. And yet, they sinned, fell, were judged, and lost their salvation. That's the lead up to verse 13. Uh, the lead up to verse 12, where Paul then says, you too should take heed. Now I'm going to be preaching on verse 13, and I'm going to look at it under four heads. This is the first one. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. That's good news. You know, I know when I was a young and newly renewed Christian uh, that I would struggle with temptation. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me? I say my prayers. I go to church. I read my Bible. Why is this temptation eating at me and I can't shake it off? Poor me. Nobody, nobody has gone through what I'm going through. And the good news is here, no, you're in good company. Every Christian goes through this. There is no temptation taking you, but is common to man. There are hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of Christians who are right where you are at this point. Temptation is a kind of standing at the crossroads. Uh, we stand at the crossroads and we think to ourselves, do I go this way or do I go that way? And maybe it's a real intellectual question. Maybe it's just a struggle of the will, but we are at a crossroads. I love the quotation by that great American philosopher of an earlier generation, Yogi Berra who said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. I love that. I mean, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Yeah, well, right. But which way? The crossroads is a painful place to be, but we should never be in total distress. 
We can never say no one knows what I'm going through. It can't even be a good place to be. I learned recently this principle studying F. Scott Fitzgerald. He wrote his best works from the crucible of standing at the crossroads. People learn to pray in the crucible standing at the crossroads. And Carl Jung, disciple of Sigmund Freud, and much to be, be preferred to Freud, said, that which is most personal is most general. So I think I'm the only one going through this temptation, but what is most personal, my struggle, is most universal. Everybody goes, yeah, me too. So everyone has been there. This is the first consolation. There is no temptation taking you, but such is the common to man. And let's be frank, we're all sinners. I joke with the Sunday school class sometimes and say the sinners are gathering, and I'm just being playful, but I'm also being honest, we're all sinners. I remember being in a Bible study in Columbia, South Carolina at St. John's Church on Wheat Street, and we were sitting around. We had about 17 men in this morning Bible study, and at one point of the things, I said, um, I have to you know, confess that, um, and, and some of you may not know this, uh, but I'm, I'm OS positive. And there was a gasp in the group. And this guy that was sitting there had his plate of food kind of right there close to my, grabbed it and slid it over to the other side of the table. And another fellow had his cup of coffee and he pulled it over to the other end. And I said, but, I said, I think all of you are OS positive too. And then as we finally worked it out, I, I confessed that OS positive means original sin positive. We are all of us OS positive. A few weeks ago, I preached on that wonderful line by Martin Luther, who said that the Christian is simul justus et peccator. At the same time, justus, justified, but also peccator, a sinner. Not at the same time, not sometimes one and then sometimes the other, but simultaneously we are both. So at the crossroads, there's a tug of war between virtues and vices, between my strengths and between my weaknesses, between my history of spiritual victories, and I have some, and my spiritual failures, and I have those as well. That is why we read biographies and autobiographies to glean the secrets of those who have stood at the crossroads and found their way out of it well. And that's what's happening in this epistle. St. Paul has more. He goes on to the second principle. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to say, <clears throat> how can God be faithful? I mean, we might say Father Dan is a priest and he's faithful. We might say Hank is a faithful husband, yes. We might say Jolene is a faithful parishioner, yes. They keep the promises they've made in ordination vows, in marriage vows, in baptismal covenant. Well, God is faithful in the same way. That is to say, He has spoken His Word and He keeps His Word. He keeps His promises. 
Specifically, what are those promises? Well, we have two listed here. Let's get the, this is my third point of the verse. He will not let you be tempted upon that, beyond that which is your strength. Temptation comes, yes. But no temptation must overwhelm. It's never an option for a Christian to say, it was more than I could resist. It's never an option for a Christian to say, the devil made me do it. Odgan Nash wonderfully said, the best way to get rid of temptation is to give in to it. And I found that to be true. After I've had my third piece of pie, I'm never tempted to eat too much pie. Give in to the temptation and the temptation's gone. Now, St. Paul is saying here, there's no such thing as irresistible temptation. You can think of temptation as a mad dog on a leash. It can growl, it can show its teeth, it can froth at the mouth, but God has that temptation on a leash. God might extend that leash, He may shorten that leash, but God will never turn the dog loose on you. The dog can threaten you and alarm you, but the dog can never destroy you. Unless you throw yourself within the uh, circumference of the leash. And just so, we can never say that temptation was too big. It was irresistible. We can never say, the devil made me do it. You may have heard the story about the woman who went to the shopping mall at an elegant store. Uh, She was just window shopping. Uh, She and her husband had tightened up the uh, budget, and they agreed to live within that budget. But it won't hurt to do a little window shopping. And so she went there, and she looked in, and she saw this really nice dress. And the clerk gestured and said, come on in, come on in. She said, I can't afford to buy anything. He said, well, that's fine. You don't have to buy anything. But, you know, look at this dress. Isn't this nice? Well, she said it was very nice. He said, it looks like it fits you. He said, why don't you try it on just see what it looks like? She said, I'm not buying. He said, that's true. I understand that. But she put on, and, well, long story short, she went home, and she had this dress, and she showed it to her husband. He had a fit. He said, didn't we agree? We sat down with the pastor and went over our budget and agree we weren't going to buy things. She says, I know, but it's not my fault. It's not your fault. She says, not my fault. It, I, I was beyond my temptation. I mean, I went over there and I looked in the mirror and, you know, the devil came up and whispered in my ear and said, you have to have that dress. And he says, don't you know what the pastor said, that when Satan comes and whispers in your ear, you just say, get thee behind me, Satan. And she said, I did. And, her husband said, Satan said, whoa, looks pretty good back here too. We can never say the devil made us do it. The devil can highlight the temptation. The devil can cause us to pause at the crossroads. But it is always our choice to go this way or that way. The Roman Catholics have a wonderful prayer of confession. They say, I have sinned by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. If I sin, it's because I have chosen to do it. Not my mother, not my father, but it's me, oh Lord. We always want to blame it on someone else, and that's never true. Temptation may be large, but with God I am larger. Temptation may be strong, but with God I am stronger. 
Temptation may seem irresistible, but there is always within the believer those spiritual resources by which to resist. So the good news is that there is no temptation that's bigger than we are. So what is the purpose of temptation? I badly broke my leg my sophomore year in high school. Uh, I was in the hospital for over ten weeks. I asked the therapist when I was getting out and I was on crutches, and my leg had really shrunk up substantially, and this woman was going to do therapy with me, and I said, how long before I walk? She said, it will probably be eight, ten weeks. And I said, okay, I'm thinking about going out for the swim team. And she said, oh, no, swimming would be great, she said. Because when you get in swimming, you can push your leg up to the limit of the strength of your ligaments and muscle. You can never go beyond them. So it would be a very good experience to be swimming. And within two and a half weeks, I was walking without crutches. I think that's the way it is. The point is that when we resist temptation, we are developing a spiritual muscle. God isn't like a helicopter mom who comes and hovers over us and keeps us out of trouble. He wants us to be mature people, and that means developing the spiritual muscles so we can go into the world courageously. And so verse 13 concludes, this is my fourth point, but God, with the temptation, will also provide the way to escape it. And that's the second way in which God is faithful. With the temptation comes the way to escape temptation. Always. They come in prayers. Here's the temptation. We should immediately stop and look around and say, okay, God promised there would be a way to escape it. What's the way to escape it here? Always they come in prayers. That phrase, the way to escape, is in the Greek one word. It's the word ekbasis. It's a geographical term. Uh, It first appears, in my knowledge, in a guy named Xenophon, who was a Greek general. And he was one time in a uh, kind of a canyon-like area passing through with his army, and they were kind of trapped. And the Persians were behind them, and they were scared. And then he writes, we looked for an ekbasis. Basis means passage. Uh, the the parabasis is the word for uh, lead us not into temptation. It means to tra- uh, uh, trespass. It's to pass through. And ekbasis is to pass out of. It's like the word exit. Ekbasis is a passage out of where you are. Here I am in trouble. How do I pass out of this? The ekbasis is the word that St. Paul uses here to describe God provides an escape along the way. The wise general doesn't panic or shake in his boots. The wise general sends out a scout to look for the ekbasis. And when he finds it, he leads his troops safely through it until they are out of danger and beyond reach of the enemy. What Paul is promising us Christians, whether you're a renewed Christian or a brand new Christian, is that in the moment of temptation, there will be an ekbasis. The good news is, that we can not only escape evil, but here's what's so cool about this promise. We can see God at work. So when you're tempted and you're going, oh, crumbs, here I am again, 
The excitement is to say, God is at work. He's promised and embosses. And as the temptation is specific, so God's provision is specific. There's three types of escape. First of all, remove yourself from the place. Remove yourself from the place. Interestingly, in the Bible, when it speaks about sexual temptation, it never talks about fighting temptation. It just says, flee. Get out of there. This is what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. He fled from the house. Number two, pray. I mean, here you are being tempted, and all of a sudden, if the temptation causes you to say, oh God, I need to talk to you about this, I think Satan would say, every time I tempt him about this, what he does is he goes start talking to God. That's, that, that's not helping me. You need to drop it. And then thirdly, there's fellowship with other believers. You don't think that you're a, a lone ranger. We're not lone ranger Christians. Go to a fellowship group. You may be part of a small group. You have a pastor. You will soon have a new pastor. You may have Christian friends. Go and talk to them about the temptation. I had an acquaintance, not so much a friend as an acquaintance, a person I respected very much, and I was devastated when I discovered he had had an affair. And he didn't know how to get out of it. He said no to it. He walked away from it. And then, you know, here he is again, back in the sin. So he had three friends, and he called his three friends. One was a college uh, professor of his from one time. One was a fellow minister, and one was just a good Christian businessman. And he said, I will pay for your plane ticket, actually to Kansas City, and I want to meet together, and I need to discuss with you an emergency. He told them nothing of it. He walked into the room. There the three men were, and he said, I'm having an affair. I don't know how to get out of it. I will do whatever you people say. And they walked him through it and walked him out of it. Koinonia fellowship and accountability are huge helps. Haven't we learned that from AA and and their sponsorship groups along the way? We can do the same. I do not wish to suggest that the Ecbosses is easy. It often is not. And so this minister that I knew, I mean, he was driving home from this affair, and he stopped in the middle of the highway and put his head on the wheel, and he just cried. It's hard, but it's doable. And then he went forward. Finally, people discover anekbosis. It's not simply a way to escape. It's the way to escape. Paul doesn't have to use that, 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 that definite article there, but he does. He calls the temptation the temptation. And the point to realize is that temptation is never general. It's always specific. One is never tempted to steal, but to steal this. One is never tempted to lust, but to lust after this person or job. One is never tempted to lie, but to lie in this situation or to this person. Temptation is always specific. So to match that, God's ekbosses is also specific. The way to escape. Oh yes, the devil whispers in one ear, do it. Give in. Don't fight it. You can't fight it. But in the other air is the messenger of God, the angel of God who whispers, look for the bosses. 
God is doing a marvelous thing for you. Behold the power and providence of God. Behold His faithfulness. And rejoice as you walk in His way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.